Roy mentioned to me a minute ago that there is a truck with an alarm going off. Is that fixed now, Roy? Where we? Okay, it stopped. Okay, good deal. And then also, um, if you see a black iPad laying next to you, that's my sermon notes. But kids, always have a backup, okay? There's a reason why I print off a copy every week. And uh, do we have it? All right, cool. Yeah, do you mind running up here, Harrison? Thank you. And I had with that, but you don't have to bring it, I had a, one of the Gospel of John little notes uh, with the Gospel of John text, and I have 10 more of those in the lobby. They're $2 each if you didn't get one over the last few weeks, and they're a great little resource to write down and follow along. And so I hope if you are big into note keeping, you'll grab one of those if you don't have a full study Bible. Also, a couple of things before we get into the text. Tonight, the hymn sing is at 6 o'clock at Riverside, and so Riverside, great chance to encourage the residents there. And then you saw the announcement earlier, but I want to just reiterate, on February 13th, we're going to have a church-wide fellowship, and it's going to be in conjunction with our student ministry as they raise money for the Peru trip, but it's going to be a great time. We're going to do some games together, and we're going to keep it in here. It'll be in this room, and so it's going to be a lot of fun, and so I hope that you'll be a part of that and stick around on February 13th. That's two weeks from today. So we're back in John chapter 6. And we're in verses 35 through 37 today. John 6, 35 through 37. It's a long chapter. So much here. You know, originally I was going to fly through about 10 verses, 12 verses, but I thought I can either, you know, preach for an hour and a half, or we can take a small section and just let God's Word just work us over and work on our lives. And so that's what we hope to do today. There's so much richness in this text. So verse 35 through 37, let me read it for us and we'll pray. Jesus said to them, that's the crowd, we've been following along with this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Let's pray. Father God, your word is powerful, it's true. And God, we uh, must admit that we know very little in the big picture, God, that um, you are God and we're not. And God, I pray today as we look at this scripture that it won't just be something we just intellectually apply to our brain, but it'll be something that we live out in our lives, God. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Not to get all philosophical on you here, but scientists tell us that before 1900, the information that humanity knew like doubled about every 100 years. Every 100 years, it doubled, so the stuff we knew. But then, like when we get to 1900, every decade, it was doubling itself. So, so every 12 or 13 months, we found human knowledge was just doubling. We were just growing in our ability to understand more and more stuff. But it also allowed scientists to see something else, that the stuff that we don't know was expanding at an even higher speed. So we know some stuff, yeah, we're learning some stuff, but then we're learning that the stuff we don't know is getting bigger and bigger at a more rapid pace than the stuff we know. Things like space and black holes, atmospheric lightning, uh, things like unexplained sounds from space. You saw that maybe in the news this week. Why do, I mean, this seems simple, but why do humans require sleep and other organisms, living organisms, don't? A simple one, why do people yawn? Scientists can't agree on that. Mask or no mask, right? Scientists don't agree on these things, right? And so scientists admit there's a lot they don't know. But here's the bigger, it sits in this big arena that is 
Stuff we don't know, we don't know. All right? So we know some stuff, and it's expanding. There's a lot more that we know we don't know, and then it sits in this huge arena that's stuff that we have no idea that we don't even know it yet. And, and the point is, we're not near as smart as we think we are. And God told us that many, many years ago in the book of Romans, chapter 11, where Paul writes, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? And so today's sermon title is Let God Be God. And in the next couple weeks, this is a two-parter, let God be God. Because as we approach things in Scripture, it's critical to remember that God is God, and he does what he wants, and that what he does is true and it's right because he does it. And so there's things in Scripture that are like trying to go home today and explain to your dog the concept of love. How How would that go for you, right? Not so well. God is God, and we're not. And he's given us his revealed word. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's some things that we come across in Scripture that are just tough to understand, that are difficult to understand and to wrap our minds around. And then there's some truths, some things we see in Scripture that we just plain simply don't really like. If we were God, it might not be that way. But you know what? We're not God, and God understands. And then there's some truths in Scripture that are just paradoxical. We try to, in our human way, to try to make sense and try to make sure these things are completely 100% compatible. And while God is a a God of order, and these things are compatible, but in his economy, they make perfect sense. In our economy, they don't really always seem to fit together so nicely. And so what we do is we let the Bible speak for itself. We don't let our preconceived beliefs, the baggage we bring into things, our biases, or our blind spots prohibit us from seeing what the text says. And so please, as we approach this text today, realize that you're going to come into this with some baggage, with some beliefs, with some things you've heard. Let God be God and speak for himself. So let's pick up in verse 35. Jesus is talking to the crowd, and they're demanding more signs from Jesus. He tells them, he says, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So in John's gospel, he records seven declarations where Jesus uses the phrase, I am, in conjunction to a metaphor about his saving relationship to the world. And so he says, I am, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that I am is not just a phrase that's thrown in there because, you know, it sounds good. It had significant, deep meaning And Jesus is saying, I am the God of your forefathers. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am, this is the personal name of God. And if you really, when when, when God came to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses said, who should I tell them that that you are? When I go and talk to Pharaoh, he says, tell them I am that I am. And literally, if you really get that down to what it really says, it's literally, I will be, or simply just be. I be. I'm be. All right? You never thought about God's name being be, right? But that's his literal name is be. And that gives significance, and maybe it'll be a little memory trigger for the sermon title today, let God be God, right? Let God be God. He existed long before we were ever even thought of, and he exists forever 
and he will never go anywhere. He knows all things. He's all wise. He's all true. Let God be God. And so God's name is I am existence, past, present, and future forever. I am the Lord. And so Jesus uses this name intentionally to help the people to connect the fact that the God that you worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's me standing here in front of you. That's who I am. And Jesus says then this metaphor, he says, I am, and he says, the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. What's he getting at there? What's bread? It's, we use it all the time. Let's go and break bread today after church, right? What are we saying? Food. It's, it's a meal. It's nourishment. And so Jesus is simply saying that he is essential for life. Just like food for our body is essential for life, Jesus is essential for life, and not just life, eternal life. Jesus is essential for eternal life. So he's telling the people, it's, it's about me, I am, and I'm the bread of life, and so look to me, and you remember last week, won't rehash all this, but we'll t- touch on it in a minute, the whole manna conversation the people were having here, and the, the, the manna that came from heaven through Moses. But he says, Jesus says, okay, if, if you're going to accept me as the great I am, as the bread of life, he says, come to me, because he says, whoever comes to me, and, and I, it'd be easy to just fly past that. But he's saying to this crowd, he's saying, believe in me. Put your hope in me and what I'm telling you. And so the people who are hearing Jesus speak, in, and, and during this passage, the, the crowd, they're hearing him saying, I'm God, come in the flesh. That's really, really difficult for them to accept, as we'll see. And then he's saying, then accept me as who I am, and then also dedicate yourself completely to me and what I'm teaching you. Give yourself to me. Come to me. All right? Come to me. And then for us, post the cross, past the crucifixion, this would also essentially involve the fact that we put our faith and trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his atonement for us on the cross, that we embrace him taking our place on that cross for our sins. So coming to Jesus means I recognize that you're God. I think most people in this room would probably at least at some level intellectually, you would, you would say, I believe that to be true, maybe a few exceptions. But to come to Jesus, for them it would literally mean accepting him who he is and then accepting his teaching, accepting his person, and then for us accepting what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. That's salvation. And that's where eternal life begins. And so back to the conversation with Moses about Moses and the manna last week. Remember, the crowd said, Jesus, we need a sign to top the sign that you gave about feeding the 5,000 with the, the, the loaves and the fishes. We need something bigger than that. Because Moses, he gave us manna from heaven for 40 years. And Jesus corrects him. He says, first off, you know, Moses didn't do that. God did it. And secondly, I said last week, Jesus says, I am. I came from heaven, all right? What's more impressive, manna falling from heaven or God himself coming down from heaven and standing in front of you? And so he says, I am. And Jesus is claiming to be who God was and and to accept him in his fullness. And that's what he's offering to the people. If Jesus is who he claimed to be and we truly are followers of Jesus, meaning that we're putting our hope into his death, burial, and resurrection, into the claims that he has given us, that changes everything. It does. It practically changes everything. I try really hard 
to bring this down to street level because the truth is we can come to church, and I did it myself for many, many years and was pretty much clueless what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and to understand what God did for me in Christ. And so Jesus, first and foremost, is saying that he satisfies our hunger and thirst to be made righteous in the sight of God. Remember that. Jesus satisfies our hunger and our thirst to be made righteous in the sight of God. So we're fully accepted by God, not based on our works, not based on our efforts, not based on what we contribute, based solely upon what Christ and Christ alone did on the cross for us. And we put our faith in Jesus, we trust Jesus, the great I am. At that point, God declares us righteous, as Jeremy talked about this morning. He says, you are removed from darkness and now placed in light. You are destined for eternal destruction. Now you have eternal life. That's what I was reading in my quiet time in Romans 5. And it, it just blew my mind when I just read this again. And this is just something we've heard before, but sometimes we just don't let it sink in. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so God, who's holy beyond our comprehension, beyond anything that we can even fathom or even understand or even know that we don't know, God says, you are right with me and I'm satisfied with you because of Jesus Christ. God is for you, not against you. Why does that matter? That God is for you, not against you. Here's why it matters. Because everything that you go through no matter what life throws at you, if you're a believer, a child of God, you can know that God is working for your good and his glory. Romans 8, 28, for, the, for God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so we know, because we're justified in Christ, that God is for us. We're at peace with God. And that's so significant. That's so amazing. Why is it? For real. I, I see this in my life so much in people, and, and I, I see it as I observe throughout my life, Christian life, it seems like sometimes the more theological knowledge we gain, the less enthusiastic we are about it. Like, we think that maybe the apex of learning theological knowledge is becoming that professor, you know, hmm, you know, and we just evaluate, and we study, and we grab more books, but there's no passion in our life. And as Jeremy referenced this morning, it's so true. If God is for you, if you're at peace with God, that's pretty exciting. And in and of itself, that is enough to celebrate for all eternity that God is for me, not against me. And practically, everything that I encounter in my life, God is in control, regardless of what it feels like to us. The second thing about coming to Christ and being a follower of Christ, when they heard, come to me, and when we come and follow Jesus, I can live my life boldly and confidently because I'm following Jesus. So Jesus says, come follow me. You can have peace with God. There's such safety in that. And just come with me, and I will lead you and guide you. And you can trust me. So how do we interpret that into our day and our age and our life? Let me tell you a, a kind of a funny story now. It wasn't funny at the time. But when I was in high school playing some, inter, or some basketball, some summer league basketball, and I didn't realize at the time, but um, after the game, I talked to a, a girl and didn't realize she had a boyfriend. And so I got in my car, I was driving, and pretty, I noticed through the rear view that 
that there's a couple guys following me in their car, and I'm turning every street I turn on, they, they turn, and I don't know the guys, but I recognize one, and he's a pretty tough dude, and, and you know, I just like, man, I don't want any part of this, so I'm just going to keep driving. Well, I keep driving, and I come across the 7-Eleven, and there is my friend who's like four years older than me. His name's Mark Christian, about 6'6", and he's uh, just pulled in, so what do I do? I pull in. I'm like, I'm, I'm following this guy, right? And I pull in beside Mark, and I like roll down the road, hey, Mark, Mark, Mark. And he comes over to my car, he leans up on the car, and we start talking about basketball game because he was on our team. And the two guys pull in down the end, but they won't approach the car. Why? Because they know I'm with Mark, right? I'm, I'm with him. And that's the, the picture I get when I think about following Jesus, is he fights the battles for me. That when I'm with him and I stay close to him, even though he's going to lead me through the valley of the shadow of death at times, right? And we all would inevitably be there at some point in our life that he's with me. And his rod and his staff, they comfort me. So Jesus never promised you a prosperity gospel that eliminates any kind of suffering in your life. He says he's with you in it. He ordains these things for your good and his glory. And so we stay close to him. And, and I started thinking about this idea of like Jesus fighting my battles for me. What does that mean? What does it mean that I just lay back and like, okay, Jesus, you do the work, and I'm just passive in this whole thing? Absolutely not. I, my mind went to Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, where Paul says this. He says, for this, and he's talking about serving God, using his energy to disciple people, to preach, to be a missionary to the world. He says, for this I toil, and that means to work extremely hard, struggling with all his energy that is powerfully at work in me. So Paul says, I'm working harder than anybody else. I'm making the effort to disciple, to preach, to go where it's dangerous, to give the gospel. But in this work, in this labor that I'm giving, it's Jesus who's powerfully at work in me. So there's nothing passive about this process. And so to follow Jesus, hey, Jesus says, I'm, I'm the bread of life, come to me, all right, I need you to come and follow me. So let's just make that into our own language here. What does that mean for us? Here, here's some things that I came up with that are true from Scripture that I hope that you will maybe write down or put somewhere where you will look back at it and remember this. Place all your hope in Jesus, not a method, but a person. Place your hope in Jesus. It's about a person. It's Jesus, the great I am. And, and remember, we, I say this all the time, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. Through the Word of Christ is where we grow in our faith. And that's where faith in trusting who Jesus is and what He's done for us and the boldness and confidence we can have in this walk through life that we have is because our faith grows through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. But that's not it. That's, that's not all we have. We have, Jesus said, He's given us a helper, the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So he says, here you go, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. All right, I'm giving you the Spirit now to take those words and illuminate those words, make those words real and active in your life, and to bring those to memory as you live your life for me. No matter what you go through, the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you with those things. 
In Colossians 3.16, another verse I say a lot, let the word of Christ just fill you up. Just, you're full of him and his words. And so as you're living your life, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I'm, I'm growing my faith. I'm trusting in Jesus more. I really see that it's about him and not me, and I don't know as much as I think I know. And so I'm trusting him more. I'm letting his words just saturate into my life through preaching, through quiet times, through a fight club, through D groups. I'm, I'm just saturating myself in the word and the Holy Spirit's going to bring that back to me when I need it, which is all the time. And I'm letting his word just fill me up. And then I move forward with confidence, as James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you just hear the word and you don't do the word, it says you're a fool. You're fooling yourself. You're tricking yourself to think that you're something that you're not. So you want to just practically know how you can boldly and confidently follow Jesus. And he fights your battles for you. That's not a five-step, do these. This is a relationship that's real and it's personal and it's ongoing. And so I hope that you'll realize that that is what it means to follow Jesus, at least, at the minimum. But our problem, I think, sometimes we want this map for what our future will look like. We want to know, okay, God, explain to me like what the future is. Lay it out for me. Lay out tomorrow. This situation I'm dealing with, this relationship I'm dealing with. God, I need to know your will, and I want you to provide that for me. And, and I love and I appreciate Jerry sending this uh, to our fight club the other day. Uh, it's from Doug Wilson, and he's talking about God's will, and he says this. He says, you are to live it out, not figure it out. You are to do the will of God, and this is not the same thing as figuring out the will of God beforehand. So trying to figure out the, the will of God for every detail and every situation in your life is just going to paralyze you, plain and simple, all right? It's going to prevent you from doing the very thing you should be doing, which is the will of God. And he, and he illustrates the fact that sometimes we over-spiritualize everything, but we ignore things that are honestly, truly things maybe that are real threats. And he's going to show us that we need to just walk confidently when we're pursuing Christ. And he uses the example about driving on an interstate, all right? How many of you, literally, every time you change lanes on the interstate, you pray and ask God for his will? Should I stay in this lane, or should I change to the other lane? No, I mean, you don't do that, right? Your life would be paralyzed if you did that every time you, you changed lanes. And, and, and think about the possible mayhem and destruction you could bring to your passengers. You could forever change their lives, right? Like You could take a, a dad from his family. You could take a mom from her kids. If you made a bad decision and pull it into someone and wreck your car and roll that car and, and kill people. But we don't pray about that. And so he's making this point. He's saying that we walk in God's will, realizing that we can't be paralyzed by every decision, every move that we make. And he says we must trust the Lord and commit our ways to him because there's so many things that God isn't going to reveal to us beforehand. And so he says here's the bottom line. The secret things of God belong to God, the revealed things belong to us. What is he talking about there? The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. What he's talking about is that we have been given the word of God that gives us the will of God. And so as we study the word of God, the will of God is presented to us. And as we look, especially as we find in the New Testament commands of Scripture, we see love your enemy. All right? So, we sometimes stress over a decision to, do I move or not move? Do I, you know, go to this church or that church? Or do I th we stress over these things, and all along we're just ignoring the revealed God, will of God, which is love your enemies. 
Pray for those who despitefully use you. That is, you can be 100% certain that's God's will for your life. There's no question about it. That's the revealed will of God. Just the simple commands of Scripture. Love one another. Forgive one another. Don't look on a woman to lust after her. These are all things from Scripture. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other. These are all just revealed in Scripture. And if you want to walk in the revealed will of God, you obey the commands of Scripture. But we so fixate on this hidden will of God. And so I want to encourage you to do this to understand that God gives you wisdom through his word. And if you're honestly and wholeheartedly the best that you can pursuing God and following Jesus, then you can rest in the decisions that you make. And so he finishes off with this statement. He says, as far as we are concerned, the will of God is a moral issue. And who you marry, what job you take, and where you live is a wisdom issue. I love that. It's a wisdom issue. And it sure doesn't mean you don't pray for guidance or wisdom. It doesn't mean you don't seek other people to help you in decisions that you make. But the bottom line is God is not going to drop from the sky the answer to your question or what you should do or where you should go. These things are the mysterious hidden will of God. And so we pursue Jesus with a passion and then we walk in wisdom as we seek to put aside our personal agendas and just see, keep our eyes upon Jesus and all things. So no matter where he leads, whether it's Tucson or whether it's Dallas, Texas, either place, my heart is, I don't have a, I don't have a preference, God. It's wherever you want me to go. And God says, is that your heart? It's my heart. Whichever one you want me to do, God. He's like, choose. Go. And there's things that line up. For sure. There's things that feel right. But you know, at the end of the day, I don't base my decision based upon what feels right to me because my feelings can lead me astray so easily. I base it on I'm following the moral leading of the Scripture. And I'm trying to seek His will no matter what happens. And I walk in confidence. That's following Jesus. He's the bread. He's what I depend upon for all my nourishment and my strength. And it's a faith thing. The more I grow in that, the more I can trust him and I can walk boldly and follow him in boldness. And he's laying this out for the people. And it's radical. I mean, it's a lot more radical for the crowd in many regards, even though Jesus literally is standing there in front of them and is for us who we've never seen Jesus in the flesh. Why? Because Jesus is making a claim to be the great I am. And you remember, I mean, every Jew would know the Old Testament scripture that God is one, all right? And they're like, okay, okay, God's one, then God two is just God is, you know. So you can understand their dilemma, right? You can understand the struggle here, but Jesus is revealing himself to them. But verse 36 says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And so the truth is, they don't understand, they don't get it, but more than that, they're unwilling to believe. They're unwilling to put their faith in who Jesus was. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus isn't discouraged because of their lack of belief. Amazing truths found in verse 37. I'm going to start with, they're both amazing, the second one, and come back to the, the one that comes first. Verse 37, Jesus replies to them, All that the Father gives me will come to me, 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so let's start with the, the second one, all right? Jesus will never abandon, disown, or give up on his followers. Jesus is not going to quit on you if you're his child. No matter what sin you struggle with, and no matter how many times you tell God that you're never going to do that again, and then you turn around and do it again, no matter how many promises that you're going to be faithful in church and you find yourself straying away again, if you're God's child, God will not quit on you. He will not abandon you. He says, whoever comes to me, I'm never going to cast you out. I'm never going to kick you out of my family. You're in my family. What reassurance that is, what confidence that gives us as we fight sin and as we work with all our might, as Paul said, to advance the kingdom of God. But look at the fourth truth, and this is why Jesus for sure isn't going, okay, maybe I should change my methodology here. Maybe I should change my approach because the crowd's not getting it. Let me try a little, maybe a little more seeker-sensitive approach or something. Look what he says. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So Jesus is no panic because he's saying to the crowd, the ones out there in this crowd, the ones of you that the Father gives me, you will come to me. If God gave you to me, you'll come to me. Not you might come to me or, you know, if you do this or that. No, he says, you will come to me. Read it again. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All right? I'll save you some trouble. I looked this up in a bunch of different versions of the Bible because I wanted to see, okay, is this maybe nuanced or maybe Jesus is saying something he doesn't really mean. And let's try to get, get it straight on. So I go through every translation that's super easy to read, New Living Translation. Here's what it says. However... Those the Father has given me will come to me. All right? The easy-to-read version. There's actually something. It's actually pretty good. The Father gives me my people. Every one of them will come to me. The Father gives me my people, and every one will come to me. All right? The message, paraphrase, every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me. So Jesus has no stake of, uh, position of panic here. He's not worried. He's like, oh, they're rejecting me. He says with confidence, those who the Father gives me, you're going to come. What an amazing truth. So here it is. We can walk confidently because if you placed your faith in Jesus, by the authority of Jesus' own words, you have been selected by God to believe in Jesus. By Jesus' own words, you can walk in confidence because you've been selected by God to believe in Jesus. All right. So remember what I said at the beginning? You bring into this biases, your opinions, stuff you've heard, a lot of baggage because, oh, I don't agree with that theological camp over there. All right. Let, let, let's just look a few verses on where Jesus has to reiterate this, and we'll see this next week. But I just wanted to show this to you just to get you thinking. Jesus says in verse 44, he, he rewords it but says it again. No one... No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, you're not coming to me unless God at first does a work in your heart to move your heart. And I don't want to preach next week's sermon, but I want you to begin to look into this yourself. And several of our groups that do that, that do sermon follow-up, there's, I, I put resources at the end of the questions where you can go and dig in for yourself because we're going to jump in next week. But I encourage you to see these things, these truths from Scripture, as incredible reasons to live your life with such confidence and boldness and satisfaction and peace in Jesus. 
because he has made us at peace with God. And we're following him, and we're with Jesus, all right? You can try to harm me, but you know, you got to get through Jesus first. And so it's only going to happen if he lets you do that. So I'm following Jesus. And Jesus ain't going to get tired like, oh, I'm tired of you hanging out with me, you nerd. I get, get lost, all right? I don't like you anymore because you don't make me look good. No, Jesus will never cast out those who follow him. Why? Because the Father selected the ones who were going to be Jesus' followers in the first place. So while from your angle, following Christ looked like this incredible, bold decision you made, from God's angle, from that stuff that we know we don't know, right? From God's angle, he's got it all figured out. And unfortunately, I was texting back and forth with Brian Parker this morning because he's homesick, and I said so many pastors and preachers want to use this kind of thing as, as a sledgehammer on people. And they don't really walk them through. And I said, it's more like a, a scaffold. You know, you want to you look at the Word and understand the human responsibility we'll look at next week to understand that God just didn't create robots. And that's where you say, it's beyond my ability to really comprehend this. And, and if you think you can figure it out, then go home now and, and explain love to your dog, okay? That's your next step, all right? Because you're capable of figuring God out. Right, you're not. And so the truths of Scripture, we have to let them speak for ourselves. So let's review for our application, for our head. Let God be God. And remember, be. That's who God is, right? Let God be God. God is great. He's incredible. And we're not. And so our response of the heart is to ask God to humble us to his greatness, his mercy, and his amazing grace that he's provided through Jesus God opposes the proud, James says, but he gives grace to the humble. When we bend our knee, as we talked about a few weeks ago, to God and say, God, you're greater than me. You're huge. You're beyond my comprehension. You're even beyond my ability to even know what I don't know and comprehend the things that are out there that I don't even have never even thought about before because you created it all. You're above time and space. You're before You've always existed. I can't even get my mind around that, how that you've always existed. You always were, you are, and you always will be. God, I'm humbling myself to ask you to help me to stay dependent upon Jesus for my life. And then what do we do? We live boldly for Jesus as we obey his revealed will through the Spirit's power. We get in the Word and we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to live out the commands of Scripture. It's hard to know how to respond to God and what He wants from us when we don't really care to be in a relationship with Him. If we don't want to hear His words speak, if we're not engaging with Him in prayer on a consistent basis, then it's hard to really know. We don't feel that satisfaction, that peace. We don't have that boldness and that confidence because our faith is in ourselves. It's not in him. But as we keep our eyes upon Jesus and say, the best that I can, I'm going to be in this book and I'm going to study the truths of Scripture and I'm going to obey the truths of Scripture. And then I'm going to live my life like Paul lived his.
I'm going to make every effort. I'm going to work hard for the kingdom. But it's not me that's working. It's Christ at work in me. Let's pray. Father God, just incredible, amazing truths in these few short verses today, God. And God, we admit that you're beyond our ability to comprehend, that you've given us your word to give us everything that we need, your scripture says, for life and godliness. You've given us what we need to live as conquerors, as, as victorious in this life, because it's not about us, it's about you. And God, I pray as we move forward this week that we will truly walk in boldness as we confess our sins when we fall short, as we seek you, seek our brothers and sisters in Christ to help build us up and spur us on. And God, we thank you for this church that values the teaching of your word. And God, may we build our lives and not just be hearers, but be doers. In Jesus' name, amen.